Welcome to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Air McManus, and I am here with my dad, Erwin McManus. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning. I'm doing well. I'm on coffee cup number three, I think. I'm on number one, so I'm not quite there yet. No. <laughs> no. You brought up an interesting question, but before we jump into it, I just want to thank every single person that supports the podcast on Anchor, um, for every person who donates and gives a monthly donation and subscription. It's not a subscription. It's just a support thing. It's really mm-hmm. cool. It's really amazing. I'm super glad. There will be merch coming. I've just been... I've just been People un- have been, been doing asking, a lot of things. where's the merch? Yeah. It isn't here yet. <laughs> it isn't here. And it will be. Is it still in design stage? It is in still in dream stage. Dream stage. <laughs> still in dream stage. But but I I got some ideas, and they will come soon. Um, okay. I can't wait. Can't wait. So if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this, let us know where you listen to this at or from. From. You mean like what city? On. No. Or I like mean what like room? what platform? Like oh. Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. Oh. Like should we do it only on iTunes or only on Spotify or only on YouTube? I really don't understand those platforms. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you ask me about New Zealand, Australia, Africa, Asia, I can I have some understanding. If you ask me about different platforms, I have no idea what okay. that means. <laughs> we have a couple we've been working on a couple we, we we've been we've been doing a couple interesting things recently. There's some things in the mix, some things getting getting, you know, stirred up. Mm-hmm. But you asked a really interesting question. What do you do when the world changes? So I would like to ask you that question. <laughs> what do you do when the world changes? We're obviously in the, the middle or the end or who knows at the pandemic. Mm-hmm. There's been a shift in, in, our, in, our, in our White House, which is awesome, which whatever you feel, newness is good. Newness is good. I did find it interesting. People are never happy when you support either side. And then they're... Like I said, you know, our posture has always been we want everyone to succeed. Yeah. So we want the best for this administration and everything that they're uh, trying to to do to make the country better and the world better. And yeah, it's going to be it's going to be good. It'll be good. It'll be good or it's not going to be good. But you know what? I'm excited. (laughs) Newness is good. What do we do when the world changes? Well, I think it's interesting that um, sometimes there are moments in history that things change more dramatically than other times. You know, when you look in the, like, in the Old Testament, you have, it talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And three generations are kind of clumped together, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you look at that time in history, Abraham probably wasn't that different than Isaac and wasn't that different than Jacob. Like, Jacob probably dressed like Isaac, and Isaac probably dressed like Abraham. Think about three generations where the grandfather and the father and the grandson all dress and look and think and feel the same way. How long did Abraham live for? Quite a long time. How long? How long are we thinking? Hundreds of years? He lived, I don't remember how long. I don't have the age of every patriarch memorized. Are you listening in there? Are we Googling how long Abraham lived for? (laughs) And, but my point is that the world changed more slowly then. Okay. And so you had three generations that were essentially um, the same, almost like one generation. Now the world is changing so rapidly that there's a generational difference between you and your sister, and you're only three years three apart. Three years apart, yeah. Four year, almost four years. Let's go four. And so we have a, not, not just um, a dynamic of changes in culture. We have a rapidly accelerating change where, you know, you had baby boomers and then baby busters, but now generational change is so fast, naming all the different subsets seems almost ridiculous. Yeah. So the world is changing more quickly and your generation has to um, really learn how to adapt to rapid change. And sometimes that creates a response where people learn how to be incredibly adaptive and move fast. But sometimes what that does is creates an, an immense amount of resistance where people actually rigidify and become resistant to change because the change overwhelms them. And when you look at um, different like cultures, some cultures are designed for change. You know, and I think whatever people think of Steve Jobs, like he created a culture that was designed for change and innovation, updates, renew, and he, he didn't seem to even care about putting a, pro, a, pro, a product out when it wasn't ready. He didn't mind that the first iteration had all kinds of flaws. He was going to fix it as it went. 
Yeah. And uh, so that's why maybe sometimes it's not smart to buy the first <laughs> iteration. But, um, but not everyone is designed like that. Some people um, are more like Henry Ford who said you can have a car in any color you want as long as it's black. And right. so you have two different extremes. Unfortunately, church culture tends to be uh, a more rigid, unchanging culture. Right. So when you're dealing with rapid change in the world, uh, in contrast to a culture that hates change, uh, you have a crisis. And so now we have this quarantine. We've had you know uh, the COVID pandemic. The world has dramatically changed. We haven't been able to meet for public gatherings, at least here in California or in Los Angeles for a year. And I do know that there are places in Orange County and other parts of California that um, have met in some ways in other parts of the country that are meeting with some limitations. And there's some people in LA that are secretly meeting. I know, uh -huh. I know, I know a couple of churches. Sure, sure. And yeah. uh, it's happening. And But I get this asked all the time, when are we going back? When are we going back? When are we going back? And what they mean by that is when are we going to meet again, you, you know, and as a, as a church and uh, especially here in Hollywood. And the question is interesting to me because whenever we're looking at when are we going to get to go back, we're probably asking the wrong question. We need to be asking, what does it look like to go forward? Mm. And um, as challenging as it is, sometimes what we think is a temporary shift is actually a permanent seismic reorientation where the world never goes back to where it was before. And you have to adapt to it pretty dramatically. And it becomes uh, an ice age. And I remember when the quarantine first started, I was on this um, uh, podcast, and they're asking me at the beginning of the quarantine about the church. And I said, this pandemic and this, um, on, um, this quarantine that's just about to start is going to be the ice age for the church, and the dinosaurs will not survive. That, um, and I just read yesterday that one out of five churches in the United States will cease to exist before the quarantine is over. Wow. Wow. And, and so this isn't a, a moral or ethical indictment. I'm not saying that every church that dies is a, is, should die. I'm just saying this is the reality. This is not a judgment statement. This is, I'm just making an assessment of the, of the data that's out there. Wow. So the question then becomes, which are the churches, if we're talking about the church itself, right. um, that will learn how to adapt and thrive, or that are so resilient in their present context that will thrive anyway. And that's true for businesses. You know, not everyone is losing money during the quarantine. There are a lot of tech companies that are just absolutely crushing it right now yeah. financially. Yeah. There are a lot of companies that learn how to adapt. And um, in fact, I, I have a friend who... Um, I did not know she's a doctor and she owns uh, several medical clinics and things. She just created a product that helps people um, regain their energy and strength after they've been through COVID. And, and I thought, how amazing. And she invested hundreds of thousands of dollars to create something that people desperately need. Other people would just be paralyzed going, what are we going to do? Is this just the new condition? Is this how people are going to be from now on? Instead, she, she saw the crisis as an opportunity to innovate, which I thought was so exciting. Right. And I, I think that's what's going to happen, not just in the business world. It's going to happen not only just in people's personal lives, because right now, what about if you lost your job and your, um, your former profession isn't a viable option anymore? You can actually be paralyzed and say, well, wait a minute, what I did for a living is no longer available or you have to learn to readapt. You have to begin to look at yourself, look at all your skills and talents and abilities and reorganize them in such a way where you create value for what you do in a new environment. And it's true with the church. You have to ask yourself, not how can I get the world back to the world I am comfortable with? We have to ask the question, how do I serve humanity in the present condition that we face? And not only that, but how do we get ahead of the curve? I mean, you're a surfer. And, Not uh, really. Well, I sur you surf. Be. I don't surf anymore. <laughs> I've surfed in like seven months, six months. Oh, wow. You need to get back out there. It's cold right now. I'm good. <laughs> and, uh, but I think you have to be in front of the surf, of the wave, right? 
Most of the time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so you're not actually riding the wave. You're riding. You're you're staying in front of the wave. No, you're riding the wave. You're riding the wave. You're in the wave. Yeah. So if you're really good, you're right in the middle of it. If yeah, beginners ride in front of the waves. The whitewash. Okay. Yeah. I would ride so far in front that I would be on the shore. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but a part of like leading through crisis is learning how to ride that wave. Well, I think a lot of forward. I think a lot of churches are are having this interesting. They're at an interesting crossroads, right? Because I think you know you you take Texas or you take kind of these big Bible Belt places, and you have you they built these mini arenas. They built these mm-hmm. these these large buildings that are the size of you know WalMarts and Targets. For thousands of people, and even in even in like quite conservative areas, thousands of people aren't going anymore, right? Because it's you know whether it's health or precaution or people a little bit more afraid to go into big spaces, you know, these big buildings that were used you know a few times a week or primarily on a Sunday for multiple services aren't being filled anymore. So does it does it change the way? We need to respond because, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, you go to the house church model or you do Mm -hmm. this or, you know, or you go through apps or you go through, you know, but then there also are people who are like, we're just waiting for it to go back to normal. So I think there's a healthy medium of where you, you, we were talking about like the real thing we really want to talk about is how do you innovate in the midst of change? And so for the church and we're church people, we go to church, we go to Mosaic. Um, how do you innovate inside of a culture that is one foot in the future, one foot in the past? Mm-hmm. But so many things are like that, right? Yes. Car companies, you have Tesla and you have you have Ford. Mm-hmm. You know, not that Ford's bad. I think Ford's awesome, <laughs> but like it's just a different strategy. Mm-hmm. Like like phones, it's such a different strategy. Mm-hmm. Almost any like Amazon, it's such a different strategy than you than USPS. Like, there, how do you innovate in the midst of change, and how do you survive, and not just survive, but how do you adjust and and grow? Because we oftentimes talk about Netflix. <laughs> like we were really early on with Netflix when it was like they'd mail you a CD. Most of you probably don't even know. Yep, I remember when that. When you subscribed to Netflix, they sent you subscribed for sing, single disc or or like or two disc or three disc subscriptions for like five or ten or fifteen dollars a month, and they would mm-hmm. send you DVDs. It was like to go. It was Blockbuster to go, you know, <laughs> and mail in Blockbuster, and then they mail it and you mail it back, and you could keep it for however long you wanted. There was no like there was no return policy issue. And so, you know, and then they changed their name. Mm-hmm. They did. They went to subscription online where you watched everything online, and then everyone dipped because they called it Quickster. And then, <laughs> then they changed it back to Netflix, and now it's like this remarkable shift where, like, the brand went up, and then mm-hmm. it went down, and then it went back up immediately. Mm-hmm. And how do we in the church – because oftentimes people inside of the church mm-hmm. – outside the church, but people inside the church are resistant to change. Yeah. So are there some changes you're seeing? Because I know we're, like, having a lot of conversations behind the scenes of, like – what do we do? Mm-hmm. But what 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 do you what would you tell the church that has the gigantic building in Texas to do? I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah, I like w- wish we had a big building. It'd you be know? nice if we could turn it to a basketball gym. <laughs> and uh, and um, or, but what's interesting to me in that is well, what do you do with it? I'm asking you that question first. Well, I mean, you have to pay attention to where the world has been going. See, this isn't new. What's happening in the world isn't just because of the quarantine. It's been happening for 50 years, mm-hmm. and the quarantine has accelerated it. Okay. And um, because the examples you've given, like um, 35 years ago when I was working as a futurist, I predicted that companies like Sears would go bankrupt. Right. And that companies like Walmart and, um, and like Gucci would, would stay solvent. And the reason is because there was what you could see was economic bipolarization. The middle class was going to be what disappeared. So how did you see economic bipolarization 35 years ago? What were some of the signals? Well, there were, there were a lot of signals in that, but it was really the end of the middle class where uh, things were being pushed to two extremes. Like if you choose a customer and serve them well, yeah. you tend to have – a resilience. So it, the, those who were targeting the rich were going to survive 
because that target group would still be there. Mm -hmm. Those who are targeting um, those who are in the blue collar, you know, working class, they're going to survive because they're going to always be there. Everyone in the middle, their strategy is we're the store for everyone. Mm -hmm. When you're the store for everyone, you're the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you um, take care of a very specific customer base that will continue to grow, you're going to have a customer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and what's happened in the church is that the mega church usually was for, quote, everyone. And, uh, but culture isn't becoming more like everyone. Culture is becoming more fragmented and fringe. Okay. So you almost have to specialize. You have to choose which group you're going to reach because you can't reach everyone in the same place. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you know, the church is for everyone, that's true. But the idea that every church is somehow appeals to everyone is just not realistic. Yeah. Because well, I, like, no matter, you know, I think if you're listening to this, mm-hmm. I don't, like, I don't want to use, neg- I don't want to use language that is deemed negative. Mm-hmm. Because we have this conversation, like, in the, people in church, the moment you start talking to church, like, a, talking about church, like, it's a business. Mm-hmm. It becomes, well, it's a church. It shouldn't be a business. Mm-hmm. But no, but everything has an economic value. Everything costs something. Like when people go, you give away Bibles for free. No, no, the Bible is not free. It is a free gift. It costs us something. Right. Somebody bought whatever you get for free. Yes. And so there is there is a missional side of church mm-hmm. where things I do think things should be open source, things should be free. But there's also a business side of church. We've talked about this before. If you're If the church does not pay for itself, it will not exist. Like if you go to a church that's local and you're like, well, this church is for everyone. No, no, it was, your, it's your local church because it's your, lo- it's, they put, they targeted you in your neighborhood. <laughs> They'd made a conscious decision to open up where you are, right? Yes, but the world being local is not a reality as much as it used to be. So the world is more local. No, the the world is is really more interconnected. Like we're we're closer to someone who's like our culture in Paris or like our culture in Tokyo or London than someone necessarily who is in Riverside or Orange County, um, because there might be a dramatic cultural difference. Right. And you know, just like in our neighborhood, we're, but there's people in Riverside, Orange County. Who are just like us. That's right. And, then, and they access us. And they do. And that and that and so the distance doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And in the past was this idea of a local church. And so you had a church in a little community and uh, and that church represented that community. But you have to realize that when that happened, those communities are really homogenous. Everybody who lived in that community was very similar. They had very similar economic um, uh, status, very similar educational status, very similar um, cultural, right. um, you, you know, dynamics, right. and and so that church matched the demographic of that community. Right. And now it's not like that at all. And in fact, here in LA, the city is so diverse and and uh, and so multicultural, and 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 there's um, massive diversity here. Where no matter where you are, um, there'll be some people that you relate to well, and some people that you have a more difficult time relating to. Right. It's just like with, example with Mosaic. When we really first launched Mosaic in a large way, average age of Mosaic was around 24 years old. And one of the criticisms we would always get is, well, you don't care about senior adults. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, senior adults are in churches all over America. I mean, they are not underrepresented in churches. Right. And But we were always criticized that our church was too young because it didn't have elderly people. Right. And I will say, first of all, you need to look at the demographic of LA. LA is essentially young. Yeah. And uh, and then secondly, everyone gets older, but no one gets younger. <laughs> and, uh, and then another interesting except thing- Except for LeBron. Except for LeBron. That's true, but I don't want to go there. And uh, um, he, he breaks my heart every time he, he shows up on the court and wins. <laughs> every time he dunks over somebody and we're like, it isn't the end yet. But, but here's the crazy thing. Our church would reach- so many senior adults who never considered Jesus or belief in God or the scriptures or the church. We actually and have a thriving senior adult community in yeah. one of our campuses. So I, what I thought was interesting, one of the things awesome. I noticed is when people talk about, when Christians talk about senior adults, mm-hmm. they were talking about a very particular senior adult because mm-hmm. that person was attracted to the church when they were younger and the church stayed like them all their life. 
Right. But that person who grew up in their generation, yeah. who was in their 60s or 70s or 80s, yeah. but was never attracted to the message of Jesus the way that generation communicated it, they were more likely to come to faith at Mosaic. It is interesting. We look at our, our demographics on Instagram and YouTube and the people who are accessing, accessing our content, mm -hmm. and we laugh because you never reach your age group. No. You are always reaching the 20 years below you from like the the the, the teen like the 18 19 to 40 the, years to below the... me thank you for the compliment oh wow <laughs> well i was i was going well i was dropping 20 and then going 20 i was going the, the 20 year old to the 45 year old is right the we just saw an assessment uh, i'm 62 and the average number of people who who are part of mosaic who are 60 and older is 1% so 1% of my generation is really connected to the way I communicate. <laughs> I also think it's <laughs> and open up the scriptures. I also think it's reflective of the city we're in. There isn't a ton of people your age that live in the city, like the heart of LA. That's right, right. And then around LA, yes. Uh, but not... I think seventy-five or so percent of the people who are a part of Mosaic are between eighteen and I think it's thirty-six, something right. like that. Right. right. And so yeah. that demographic is strongly who uh, we focus on. And, um, and, and this is my whole point of this, is that the churches that thrive know who they're speaking to, and, and they know who they're trying to connect to um, in terms of engaging them with a meaningful relationship with Jesus. And so as a writer, whenever, you know, you, you meet a, an aspiring writer and, you, and they tell you about their first book, you go, who'd you write that for? And they always say, oh, it's for everyone. You know that book isn't going to sell. But when they are very specific and say, no, I wrote the, this person for the person who's dealing with this or going through this or asking this question, that book has a, t has a huge chance of being massive. So when you write a book for everyone, it's almost for no one. When you write it for someone specifically, it becomes really valuable for everyone. Right. And it's the same way when you're doing a business. Not, not everyone's going to drink Red Bull. And, and if, if you build your company going, our goal is that everyone drinks Red Bull, we're going to do whatever we got to do, right. um, you're not going to have the right strategy. You have to go, who's the person who, if they know about Red Bull... Is going to run the drink Red Bull, right? You know, and uh, and I just use that as an example. Whatever no, no, it it's be. a great example because I always wonder. I'm like, I'm not that guy. <laughs> but in college, I drank Red Bull because it was like, okay, I got to wake up now, and I would drink a Red Bull. And then now I laugh because I watch Formula One and there's a Red Bull team. And I'm like, who drinks Red Bull? But apparently <laughs> enough to fund a Formula One team. So lots of people do. Yeah. And, no, and sometimes when I can't sleep and I'm watching television, ESPN or whatever it might be, and the commercials come on, I go, oh, wow, I'm in that target group. <laughs> I get yeah. very disturbed yeah. <laughs> going, yeah, yeah. this is not a good target group. I need to go to bed because <laughs> yeah. the people they're targeting right now, they're not doing well. Yeah. And, and so when you look at even marketing, you realize, oh, they know that this is targeting a very specific person. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the beautiful things about the church, because people would say this to me all the time, why can't, why can't churches all be like... Together, why can't every church just be one? Why are there so many different kinds of churches? Why are there so many different kinds of denominations? And and I say, why would you want there to be anything different? It's just like saying, why are there so many flavors? Why yeah. are there so many aromas? Why are there so many colors? Why does God have to confuse things? Why can't everything just be blue? Right? Why why can't everything just smell like coffee? And and you know, and and the reality right. is that diversity is actually a more beautiful representation of life. And I think one of the amazing things is that mosaic is is a unique expression of human community, and uh, and of people who connected to Jesus and are trying to serve the world. We were talking about this too because yeah. we we would have been seen as mosaic would have been seen as one of the most liberal churches in the world. <laughs> you were the we were the first church to meet in a nightclub in downtown LA in the world. Mm -hmm. First church to ever meet in a nightclub prop that we know of. Yeah, first church to take church off its name, just call itself Mosaic and yeah. I was considered a heretic. Whenever for that. people call us Mosaic Church, I'm like, you're not talking about us. That's not us. <laughs> it's just mosaic. We're just mosaic. And and you know and and we laugh because that's a real that's a real thing people oh, do yeah. all the time. The things we were hated for are now normal. But now we're talking <laughs> we're laughing now because now we're not liberal enough for the city. 
because there there's a call to be more liberal. And we're like, since when did Mosaic become the conservative church? It is kind of funny, isn't it? Yeah. And not mm-hmm. conservative politically, but meaning like more conservative just in values. But it is an interesting thing. And we've been talking a lot about how does how does the church maintain its identity inside of a world where identity is such an issue and a conversation. I don't really want to get into like all of that it means, but like how does the church maintain being the church and still stay relevant and still keep it about Jesus and keep the mission on 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 brand and what like on it's point, meant to yeah. be on point without it, you know, succumbing too much to culture and which is tough because I never thought we would ask that question. Because Mosaic <laughs> was it was just like we've always been really creative. We've always been really like established as like a futuristic church. But it is it is an interesting time where it does feel like there is a pull between two different worlds, you know? It, it is, and, yeah. and and that's in some ways that's why you don't want to um, you don't want to be trendy, right? Because if you're trendy, you're just getting pulled by everything that's happening in culture, and 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 you and you you lose the part of you that is supposed to be timeless, right? And you know you you want to know what you really care about. You have to know what your values are, and you have to know the things that are your core, and that way you can. Um, be adaptable and fluid with everything else. The most rigid people in the world are the ones that they that don't actually know what really matters to them. The reason they're so rigid is because that everything matters to them because they've never figured out what are their like, the, the core of who they are. Right. Like so, to me, the core was always um, people need Jesus. Everything else was so secondary. So when people would try to bring me into all these other conversations, I'm like, hey, those conversations for me, are actually secondary. The, the, my primary conversation is that people are created in the image of God and people are created by God to know him and to experience his love and to have this unconditional, beautiful relationship with the creator of the universe. And, and you know, and that's why we all said mission is why the church exists. For us, the church is about connecting the world to the God who loves them through Jesus. And then our second core value is love is the context for all mission. And I think that's where we've so oftentimes been misunderstood on both ends. Mm. We've been we've been seen as too liberal because we make love the context for everything we do. People wanted us to say everything we hated. They wanted us to be uh, really verbal what we're, we're, what we're against. And we didn't want to be known for what we were against. We wanted to be known for what we were for. So we were seen as too liberal because they felt like, you know, love made us too soft. And then sometimes people would go, oh, you accept everything. Our, our, our lifestyle or you accept our beliefs or you accept our, our doctrines or you accept our way of life because you still love us. And we go, no, no, that has nothing to do with it. It's not our place in life to live in judgment over other people. Jesus said it did not come to condemn the world to bring the world life. So why would we posture ourselves to condemn the world? Yeah. And, and so that's been my posture with every belief system, every religion, every person across the world. And when we've traveled the world and we've been with people who have dramatically different belief systems, we never felt it was our role to stand in judgment of them, but to be an expression of love and acceptance for them. And that's been a part of Mosaic's posture, which I think has made us so adaptive. It it makes people really mad. makes people really mad. Yes, because if you don't agree with me, I need you to be my enemy so that I can be mean to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, well and, we, you know, it is the culture right now. Mm-hmm. If you don't agree with me, you are the enemy on all things. If you don't do exactly what I say, you are the enemy in all ways. So it will be interesting to see how things unwrap because also now with the internet, you don't need to live in a major city to be the, f- to, to be the future. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't, right, you don't. You don't. You don't need to have a gigantic building to establish. You have to have the best content. Mm-hmm. And you have to tell the story the best. Yeah. And and so it isn't as much. Whereas I think in the past it was about like, well, I wonder what people are doing now that like complain that like I'm not being pastored enough. Like no, like who, who's seeing their pastor right now? You know what I mean? That's a really interesting question because that was always like a huge a huge thing. Thing for people who um you know struggle just in their own personal lives and yeah, yeah. and right now they're not getting pastored by, by anyone. anyone. Yeah. And 
Pa- pastors are right, pastoring be- each other. <laughs> Everyone's staying connected the best they can. Because I, I would say, and I bring that up because maybe we don't talk about this, but I bring it up because I go, I'm looking at the, the isms and the things of people that people criticize the church for. But right now, it's like, you know, everything you criticize in the past is like, you know, it doesn't have a good enough kids program. Well, no, like, do you have a good enough kids program <laughs> at your own house? Because now it's like, now everyone's dealing with their own situations and it's like a really interesting, like self-reflection, you know, like mm-hmm. the coffee is not good at this place. I'm like, the coffee's not great at my house either. Like I'm really struggling with the coffee service at, at, at Aaron McManus's house. <laughs> but like, you know, one of the things that struck me is, have you ever had a coffee shop where you love the coffee, but you hated the pastries? Or I don't like the people. <laughs> that not. serve it like I got to deal with it you know what I mean? yeah for sure yeah. Yeah. but the, and you don't what you do is you go okay I'm going to get the coffee there because it's the best coffee and I'll get the pastry somewhere else and well I'm not going to build lifelong yeah. friendships there because they're maybe yeah. they don't have great customer service but yeah. but I'm still going to get the great coffee and so in life yeah. we learn how to filter out you know what isn't good and we get to you know to um, access that which really makes a difference for us or, or makes our lives better and but What's amazing to me about like churches, people will go, oh, I hate that church or, you know, that church, I don't like the way that the guy speaks or I don't like the music or I don't like the building or, or whatever. That person yeah. was unkind to me or they didn't give me a parking spot. Hey, maybe the coffee is great, but the pastries are terrible. <laughs> and because, uh, yeah. y- you know, what Jesus has to offer is so valuable. Don't let that get lost. It's so... You know, because you had a negative experience. I remember years ago, I read a study. The number one reason first-time visitors didn't go back to a church is the bathrooms. If the bathrooms were not clean or if the bathrooms were not available, people wouldn't go back. And I thought, wow, if if God actually exists and Jesus came and gave his life so that you could live, the barrier between you and life is the bathroom. (laughs) And... And so I think sometimes we, we don't learn how to like look filter. at things in proper priority. Filter our own priorities. And so like now that the world's changing, how do we innovate not only – well, one, I think it's – I don't know if we've gone off topic, but I, I, I think now like to bring it into the place like what do you do when the world's changing? How do you innovate? How do you like – because now there's so much content being received and so much content being created. Like we did something really interesting. Mm-hmm. All of January to give our teams a bit of a break, we just played four of our five of our favorite messages from your last ten years, and we just you know we updated the hosting, we did new worship, but it was an old message from you, Vintage Irwin. I was not that excited about the series, but (laughs) no, I I called it internally. I said let's play the hits, and we've had better numbers because it was better content. And, and not that it's better, like, you know, like my big, my, my big thing with people, with people in church is like, now you can go to any church you want in anywhere in the world because everything's online. So when people are like, yeah, well, this person's speaking here, so I'm going to go here. I've makes me sad. Not because, not because like, not because you can't do that. Do whatever, do whatever you want to some degree. Mm-hmm. But I'm like. Look, I've been a Clippers fan for 20 years. And for 20 and for 16 of those 20 years they were garbage. Garbage. One of the worst teams. They one of the worst teams ever. And you know what? This year they're incredible. And we lost. We broke the record for the largest loss margin in points <laughs> ever. The Mavericks, yeah. And that is embarrassing, but they're still my embarrassing team. <laughs> so when they suck and get blown out by the Nuggets, I still have to deal. I don't throw away all my Clippers gear. It's still there. Right. But, you know, this is a perfect example. When you're a fan and the record's 11 and 4, you focus on the 11 wins. Right. And you, and you try to forget the one worst loss in history. When you're a hater, who do we lost the Mavericks, right? Yeah. When you're a hater like Brian, and who's in our booth, you'd probably only focus on that one embarrassing fifty point loss, right? That's that's how you define us. No, he just brings (laughs) to the fact that they they whooped us in the playoffs. Yeah, that that they swept us because he's a Nuggets fan. But we didn't get swept. We get no, no. The last we got swept the last three. Three one. Oh yeah, we were three one. Basically, I call that a sweep. And. 
and because we deserve to be called, as you say, we've been swept. Here's my point. It's the same way with the church. Like if you actually lean in in a positive way, you see the 11 wins and not the four losses. And you and learn from everyone. You learn yeah. from the four losses. If you're a person who is inclined toward being uh, more of a hater. I don't like the word hater. Okay. Re, re, antagonistic. Yeah, antagonistic, yeah. You see the four losses, the one embarrassing yeah. wipeout, and you don't see the 11 wins. And But I, I want to like go back and... Well, I want to okay. just... Because yeah. I've been watching Drive to Survive again, the Formula One series. <laughs> God created the heavens, the earth, and then he created Formula One. Okay. And I love it. No, no. Okay, I'm glad but, you added scripture. Now I feel like we've, we've been biblical today. No, <laughs> incredible series. But the the episode on Nicky Louder in the second season, mm -hmm. Nicky Louder is like, an you know, he mm -hmm. passed away two years ago, legend of a driver, drove for mm -hmm. Ferrari, won a bunch of championships, almost died in a crash. Yeah. And then... And then came back and won a world drivers a drivers championship, and then he's like a consultant for Mercedes team. But he talks about how he's like you don't learn from the wins as much mm -hmm. as you learn from the losses. In those moments where mm -hmm. you know you're like, well, it's easy to learn from you. It is. It's harder to learn from me. <laughs> you do have to do some digging. Like there is no participation involved to learn from you. I just sit back and let it fill fill me up with inspiration and. <laughs> And, and ideas well, and <laughs> concepts and biblical knowledge and life wisdom. It's harder to learn from me. And we know because the views drop when I speak versus when someone when Actually, when speak. They held up pretty well when you spoke. They did. They, I'm using myself as an example. But you only spoke that one time because we can't get you to do it again because you don't really like being identified as a pastor. No, I think it's, I think, yeah. How do I phrase this? If I liked Christians more, I would like being a pastor more. Well, you like a lot of Christians. You just don't like the ones that... No, let me say what I'm saying. Huh? I like a few. No, I don't like a lot of them. I like a few of them. I'm grateful for the ones who are kind. What about all the people listening to Ballarat who are so supportive? I love them. All right. <laughs> I do. I really Wait do. Wait a minute. I'm going to tell you well, a secret. I think a lot of them are Christians. <laughs> you fooled me. <laughs> um, no, this is what I mean by that. Yeah. I mean this like... You know, I don't give up on the church because there's dumb Christians. And one big thing, you know, like we get criticized a lot. Mm -hmm. So when people are like, you guys don't take criticism well, or you guys block crit critics, uh, no. Yeah and no. I delete things that don't actually build a healthy conversation that should be mess personal messages. And I don't always respond to everyone, but to people that are actually engaging in healthy conversation, I do. Um, and so I think if you don't get a response or get deleted or blocked, whatever, you got to ask yourself, you know, why? Why am I? Do I fill one of those boxes? Am I actually engaging in healthy conversation? Um, but with that, I do think there is like a association thing, right? Like with wins and failures, with who we are as a whole, and you know, and I don't want to be one of those people that's like, I, I'm not a Christian because Christians are this. No, I am. I am. I'm one of you. Deal with it. <laughs> you know, and and I and I think. But I'm also like, on, I'm here for the wins and for the failures. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it doesn't always mean sitting in the same place, right? Or being mm -hmm. every, what everyone else wants them to be. So like, you know, if you were a church where your church expects meeting in person, what do we do? Because we know there's a whole group of people in our church that would want to meet in person. They're meeting in person. They're just not, te they're just not telling us where they no, are. No, there's, there's so many people who really miss coming together. I miss coming together. Yeah. I miss music, live music together. Mm -hmm. I could never go to another concert ever again. I hate concerts. The concerts are dumb. I played in bands all growing up. My hearing is damaged. <laughs> I'm down for no concerts. I do like worship, though. I feel like Brian needs to interject right here. I... Go ahead. Speak <laughs> are you piece. giving me the hand? I'm giving you the hand. <laughs> I can't believe you would never go to another live concert. I would, No, I do. I would. That's like, a lie. On, I'm talking trash. <laughs> I'm saying I don't... There's nothing I miss... I miss, I miss, like, uh, like regret, number one, probably. I've never been to the, na I've never been to a, a live concert with the National. Mm. That makes me but sad. But now I know that when we have concerts again, I don't have to worry about ever taking you because you would want to go to here in the National anyway. No, or, I would, or I'll, I'll, go to, I'll go to, no, I've been or, to Bonnie Vare. I'm good. I don't need to see them again. Okay. Wasn't but, their show incredible? One was really bad and one was really good. 
And one was so bad, he stopped it and was like, hold on one second. <laughs> and he like turned around and like talked to his big band and then was like, we'll start again. <laughs> and then it got better. But that's the wonderful thing about live. You, you would have missed it because no one shows that stuff. Yeah. I think, I don't know if we've lost our way here. But yeah. <laughs> How do we innovate in the future or in the present to get to the future? So if you're like the big church, do you sell your building? No, because you probably wouldn't get market value for it right now, and people gave harder money to buy that facility. Yeah. But I do think you need to think creatively about how to use that building for the best use for the good of people, you know? And I, I think there's several ways of this. One, you have to ask yourself, um, why do you exist? Yeah. If you exist only for Christians, and, and I think you need to be honest about it and go, oh, really, we make our decisions for the people who are a part of our church. Or um, then you have different decisions you make. Yeah. If if your primary focus is people who don't know Jesus, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna factor other things yeah. in your decision making process. Yeah. If you're kind of a combination of that, and going no, we're both for the person who believes as the church, but we're also really engaged with the community that doesn't believe and people who don't believe, and both those are important to us and a part of who we are. That that factors different yeah. decisions. And yeah. so, for example. Like what we're doing on with um, Sunday gatherings uh, on on online. Yeah. Like we keep rethinking it, going not just how does this engage a person who does believe in Jesus, and not only just how does this engage a person who's a part of Mosaic, but what can we do to help people who don't believe in God, who can get invited to this content to actually connect to Jesus. Yeah. And with this, like, with the new culture that everyone's trying to cancel each other. Yeah. And so, you know, we've gone away. We spent 25 years getting away from memberships. I do think there's like there's there's factors in our world right now that we're causing us to have to innovate. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, you know, whether it's apps. You talked you kind of leaked out on Instagram this idea of mosaic houses that we're mm -hmm. working on. And this is a new kind of initiative that we're developing on Mosaic's behalf. And I know it's going to make a lot of people feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I know that it's going to make a lot of people question our motive. I know it's going to make a lot of people go, well, they're this kind of church. And they're but I also think for the people who get it, they're under going to understand this is the future mm -hmm. because it, it is the future and it is definitely the present. Mm -hmm. And the future of the church is both local and global in person and mobile. And we've known for 20 years that most people in LA travel and, and only come to church once every six weeks. Mm-hmm. Because they're in and out of town. They're yeah. constantly moving. They're going to the beach. They're going to church. They're going out of town. They're going to something. See, people in Seattle during the Seahawks season. They're not showing up at church. They don't show no. up at church at all. Yeah. I think w there's several things that sometimes you don't even see the realities that you're facing. Okay. So before the quarantine, 80% of our congregation showed up one time a month. Right. Like, so we had to be together almost five weeks, really, yeah. to see everybody once. Right. But in our minds, everybody came every week because we went every week. Right. <laughs> you know, so we did all the work every week. Yeah. We showed up every, every week. So we thought everyone was showing up. You, you lie to yourself. You, you create this almost like this mythology. Yeah. Everyone is showing up every week. But for 80% of your community... Once a month for them was like they were just they, they were, were good they were good and uh, and and they would identify themselves as being deeply committed to mosaic being a part of the church right I don't know what it's like in other parts of the world I'm just saying that's the reality here in LA right right and I do feel like it's pretty consistent with major cities yeah, yeah. so if we actually did a gathering once a month that might actually require everyone to show up at the same time which maybe we wouldn't even have room for because, yeah. which is why Easter blows up so big is because Everyone shows up on the same day. Easter and Christmas Eve. Yeah, and, and and so you just end up with tens of thousands of people, and you're going, where were they? But there's something that – because we've – you know, we've – it's interesting because when things are working, you're less likely to innovate. Mm -hmm. You're slower yes. to innovate because things are working. So you're just trying to maintain. Yes, that's right. And But you think you're actually 
making progress, but you're really just maintaining what you've no. already achieved. And so this is like kind of the brilliant thing about, about COVID because now you need COVID tracing and contact tracing. So now it's great because in the past we would be like, we came with the idea. We're like, well, I don't want to just open. It's For me, it's nonsensical to open doors and hope to God people come every week. I hate that. If, if you've ever started campuses, and I've started multiple of them, if there's, there is nothing more that makes you want to like just, <laughs> just take Xanax than the stress <laughs> of me and Carlos sitting in the front row going, I hope to God someone shows up. We're praying. We prayed for this all week. We did all the work. Will someone show up? Will people show up? Will this room be full? I have no idea. And then my building was little. Your building is, was pretty big, <laughs> thousands of people. And I know there's probably moments where you wondered, are people going to show up? Oh, so many times. So many yeah. times. And and so, like, we, for, for the five years, I've gone, like, let's, you know, we, we, were, we played with the ideas of, like, okay, should, do we do RSVP? You, got, you can only RSVP and come to church. The rest of the world, you buy a ticket. Only church is free. Like, the only, like, church is the only thing that's, like, actually, truly free for people who come. And what's crazy is whenever we would do, like, an event. Right. If we did it for free. Yeah. Um, and we open, we, yeah. We would have about a 60%... Um, no show. No show rate. Maybe more. Yeah. And and if we charge 10 bucks, it would be like an 80% attendance. It would the, the number of people. Almost more. That's We'd have I mean. more people than people who bought tickets trying to get tickets. Which is crazy. Going, it wasn't even a real value. It was just, we just did it just so that people would have to pay something to commit to remember, I yeah. paid five bucks for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, every time we did something for free that was an event, we always were like, we are stuck. Stupid, because there was no commitment on the other side. To we show did up. concerts, and we'd have so and many see people live sign recordings. Up. Yeah, and and then they don't show up. But then if you charge twenty five dollars, you think, oh, that's going to stop people from coming. But the truth is, most people, at least in our world, are spending five bucks on a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. How much is a cup of coffee now? Well, it depends. If you drink black coffee, it's five. If you drink stuff with like other stuff in it, it's like six or seven. Right. Yeah. And, and and people are doing that every day. Yeah. And and then we think, but if you said free coffee, they might not show up. <laughs> but, well, <laughs> but if they paid their five bucks online, they're going to show up and get that cup of coffee. We, we did have that internal narrative, or not narrative, we had that internal discussion because I remember being like, why do we make coffee at church and then go and order 30 coffees for the team from a better coffee shop? Why don't we make better coffee? coffee at church. And so we like changed who we got our beans from and like, and we changed the process. Cause I'm like, why would we offer something we don't want ourselves? <laughs> but it's because I don't value things that are free. There's a psychological shift in our, in our human like nature where if it's free, we go, oh, it's, it must not be worth much. Mm-hmm. But when it actually has an economic value behind it, there is a different level of connectedness. You know what I mean? Yes. Because one of the things we forget is that there's something inherent about ownership. Yeah. And it's why the people who actually, like, give, even, um, like, Kim is, uh, your mom's been on the board of Habitat for Humanity, mm-hmm. you know, for years. And yeah. We've given, we've gotten a lot of money over the years to build houses. Yeah. It's incredible. And, and it's kind of crazy. You cannot build if you do not give. Yeah. So you're not allowed to go give your free time to build a house yeah. unless you've given your yeah. money. It's pretty cool. You pay to work. You pay, you pay to play. <laughs> you pay to play. And, and, and like I've been on those builds. They're life-changing. My, my, my mom tells me so. My mom yeah. tells me is like mom's told us so many amazing stories about Habitat for Humanity. One of her my funniest like experiences with mom and Habitat, and it's a wonderful organization. She goes, Aaron, you know Kendrick Lamar? I just stopped. I think I just walked into the house, and she's like, hey, Aaron, you know Kendrick Lamar? Like nonchalant. <laughs> like, yeah, mom, I know Kendrick. I know who Kendrick Lamar is. <laughs> Do you know who Kendrick Lamar is? You know, my mom wouldn't necessarily be um, in the rap, privy to rap culture, rap right. world. She goes, yeah, we're friends. I was like, what do you, <laughs> okay, what is that? What do you mean we're friends? Have you heard his music? And he's like, no, we're friends. He came through Habitat. We're cool. 
was like, and I'm dying inside. I'm dying. I'm like, I cannot wait to tell my friends what my mom just said that me and Kendrick Lamar are friends because he helps with the habitat. Yeah. He was like, or he was affiliated with it and helps build, build, be a part of building houses. And so, but, but I, but I, I love that, I, that idea of, but, of, of being invested. Yes. So here it is. Our, this, this particular podcast yes. is on what to do with the world changes. Right. And you may not realize this whole conversation is done like a catcher in the rye meandering to get us <laughs> to a very real place. This is what our whole podcast is. All right. But here's the key. <laughs> Let me tell you my life stories, so I help you at the end. Yeah. The way that you can innovate through yes. this crisis yeah. is you have to do a ruthless evaluation of what you're creating that actually has value to people. Mm. And you have to be careful to not just create stuff because it makes you feel like you're creating value. Hmm. You have to ask what is actually helping people and what do we need to create that will help people. Wow. And if you'll do that, you will begin to unravel stuff that's costing you time, energy, money, Yeah. and, and you'll have the resources to do what will really make a difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we're... You know, owning giant buildings maybe in cities might be a crisis because owning a giant building uh, in, in a more like communal space, like, you know, a small city or town or yeah, yeah, uh, may yeah. not may not be a problem. Right. But, um, but if the world doesn't really acclimate to having public gatherings easily, yeah. it's going to be ch- more challenging. Yeah, it's going to be t- like a corner, a corner space, you know, what a church would be in a suburb. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about because we like we know churches that have bought the equivalent of our building yeah. in in a suburb in the Midwest for five million dollars, and ours was twenty five million dollars. Yeah. yeah, right. And, yes, and so it's almost like buying stock in a company that the next month you realized, oh my gosh, it's yeah. no longer in the S and P. You know, yeah. and and so you have to realize, so you can't change where you put your money yesterday. Right. All you can do is change where you're putting your focus today. Mm-hmm. And there's so much content on the internet. That one of the things I've looked at is I don't want to be lost in the noise. So yeah, I, I you have to believe in the importance of your message and of what you're bringing to the world. Yeah. And so I'm looking at it going, I don't want to be lost in the crowd of massive noise of preachers and speakers and teachers. I would rather find the people who go, no, what you're saying and the way you're saying it is what we need. Right. So I I want to filter my audience. I said, I don't want to make it bigger where it's like this ethereal cloud. Yeah. I want to make it smaller where it's the people who really want to grow with me. Yeah. So one of the things I'm looking at is going, I want to decide what is my unique contribution? Hmm. What is Mosaic's unique contribution? Who are the people that would say, Mosaic is my community, Mosaic is my church, I don't want to go forward without Mosaic. Mm. How do we serve them and help them in their own spiritual growth and own, in their own life as they move forward? And and I know I would encourage everyone in the middle of this crisis to not ask the question, when is everything going to go back to normal? But ask the question, what do I need to do to be on the creative edge of the future? Mm. And and Americans have a Western mindset that's either uh, either or. Yeah. And we need a mindset that's both and. Right. So instead of saying we need to kill this and start this, you need to ask yourself, how do we create the both and? Because if you have things that are really serving people and helping people, like for instance, let's say when the world opens up and we can have public gatherings and everybody can come together, what you're going to find is a great number of people are going to say, nope, we're, we would rather stay connected <laughs> online. We would rather stay right. connected through the virtual world because you're helping us get our needs met. Right. And so if your whole goal is we got to get these people back into the building, yeah. you're going to be spending your energy on trying to create a either-or world. See, to me, create a both-and world. Uh, build this new world as if it's the only world that's going to exist. Build the world of biblical community and spiritual engagement in the virtual global dynamic as if that's the only world you're ever going to have and begin moving in that direction. And then if the world changes again, you'll be able to be adaptive 
and and you'll be able to bring people together and then create something great. People keep asking me, why don't you just at least like do something in the parking lot with people six feet apart with everyone wearing a mask? And I said, because a great memory is better than a terrible reality. And I'm not going to replace what it's supposed to be like when we come together with um, the limitations that we're beginning given right now by the government. And, and, and by the way, I'm not – the reason I haven't met in public gatherings is not because the government told me not to. I wish I was that compliant, but I'm not that compliant. Anybody knows me knows I'm just not a compliant person. I'm just writing that last thing down. We're not meeting together in Hollywood because we care about our city. Right. And we care about our posture and our message to L.A., we would never do anything that says, hey, we're going to stick it to society because we're the church and we get to do whatever we want. Right. Uh, we're always going to be that church that says, um, what's the best way for us to engage our city in a thoughtful, compassionate way so that we can bring people to Jesus? And, uh, and, and, and that's one, that to me is the dominant factor. And I do not think for one moment anything can stop the church from moving forward. I don't think for one moment the government can stop us. I don't think for one moment not meeting in a building can stop us. The only thing that can stop us is our lack of courage and lack of creativity. And so when the world changes, you change. When the world changes, you don't sit around and, and lament that you lost such a beautiful time. I mean, 2021 has not been a great year so far. You know, I'm like, 2020, where are you? I missed the good old days. Yeah, we really, it's, <laughs> it's, it's 2020.1. Yeah, and... and, and updated <laughs> super virus. Yeah, I saw someone saying that they're starting their 2021 calendar in February because <laughs> there is trace elements of 2020 and, that, that crossed over to 2021. Geez, yeah. and, and here's what I also, also think that we need to remember. When you're pioneering, you will always have people who are against you. And, and when you're pioneering, you'll always have people who question your motives. When you're pioneering, you have a higher likelihood of being wrong. Remember, when you're innovating, the facts are not on your side. Hmm. When you're staying the same, the facts are all on your side because you're just living in history. When you're innovating, when you're creating the new, when you're pioneering, you may have 2% of the data that validates your position. And, uh, and, you know, when, when, when Copernicus was making evaluations about the solar system, he was in a one-person minority. And the reality is that most of the times, the reason we hold on to the past is because we're more data-driven than we are necessarily even like faith-driven. And you need to create the new. You need to pay attention to what's happening. You need to step into opportunities and create what doesn't exist. And I'm going to say this. I don't give you a lot of shout-outs on this. But um, one of the things I've really admired about you in 2020 mm. is how much you've pressed toward innovation and pioneering and creativity and asking the hard questions of what works, what doesn't work, what do we need to keep, what do we need to start. And even when you looked at staffing and said, Dad, the truth is that all of us on staff don't have the skill sets that you need. And you began to re... Uh, really, and I, and I was a part of the set of lacking the skill sets that you need to progress. And you began to redeploy our team, even sometimes when they were irritated because they're getting a new job. But what you did is you made them viable where they had a job and yeah. they have value. Yeah. And every and it's interesting. There's been such a retooling of our team in 2020. Yeah. Where we're now so capable of doing things we were not capable of a year and a half ago. And, and that's the key to leading when there's change. You, you can't waste time waiting for the world to go back. No, and, and that is a big issue, right? Like I do, th you know, I go back and forth. I say things as fine, f very, with, I say things with such finality, but I don't actually, I don't actually, you know, yeah. if you've listened to this podcast, you know that we, there's the permission to disagree. We have the permission to change our minds. So, you know, if I'll say it, but I also feel this way. And if mm -hmm. it changes, we go back. I don't, I don't feel like that. I'm not someone who goes, 
I'm not an, I am an extremist in my words, but not in my actual <laughs> actions all of the time. I do genuinely believe that the moment the pandemic happened, like meeting in person is, is not dead, but it, but it was pretty clear that, that you're not going to church anymore the same way. Mm-hmm. And so the longer that we hope to go back to normal, the, the more um, susceptible to the ice age we become, mm-hmm. right? So every day we go, we, I miss this. And there are moments where you sit at home and I'm like, frick, I haven't. Listening to a worship song on Spotify is not the same with mm-hmm. thousands of people or hundreds of people or 10 people singing a song and, and, and worshiping or, or praying together. Mm-hmm. There is a beautiful moment that that creates, you know, but I don't long for it. I long for the future, right? Mm-hmm. And I long for survival, <laughs> you know? And so like, the two directives you gave me going into it was we're not going to let anyone go in the first year. And we didn't. And we didn't. And and I was like, fire all of us, keep three people, Brian, Michael, and Austin. Nicole. <laughs> I don't think Nicole was on that list. You guys can do graphics. <laughs> like, well, no one, there's no one to take photos of anymore. <laughs> Just yeah. hit record. But no, and I, and I mean that. And I, don't, and I don't, like to all of our staff people, I love all of you. I wasn't on the list to keep. It was, <laughs> it was, um, it was more of a like, you know, survival of, of like if we were going to survive, if no one gives ever again. And we've watched over a year of really tough moments, our church thrive, our church grow. Mm-hmm. People tuning in from all over the world. You you hinted at a new initiative of Mosaic Houses and people have come out of the woodwork. Yes. And so... And and I, I, um, I have to throw this in because when when the dream of Mosaic was first like stirring in my own soul... Uh, I always felt like an outsider to Christianity. I always felt that um, there wasn't really a place to be highly creative, to be imaginative, to also like be thoughtful. And and uh, I wanted a place that valued an intelligent faith and a creative faith. And I wanted a place that, um, even though it didn't agree with everyone, was inherently non-judgmental. Yeah. And... I, I think the future desperately needs the culture that Mosaic has. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be right for everyone. And it doesn't mean that um, it's going to be without like difficulties or challenges or even opposition. But the future of the church is going to be our ability to be adaptive and pliable, innovative, pioneering all over the world. And, and yet still interconnected because the strength is in the numbers of mo- doing life together. And I think what we have with Mosaic Houses is we have the both-and strategy of one tribe moving together across the world, and, uh, and yet the intimacy and the, uh, the local nature of the houses everywhere across the planet. So yeah. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, one thing we, we talked about when we started this year, and we're going to probably get closer to wrapping this up, yeah. but a big fashion brand that I really love and that we've all kind of come to really like deleted their Instagram the first week of January, the first Monday or Sunday. So it was all over like the big fashion blogs and the papers mm-hmm. and people talking about how it's like the return to luxury of this idea. That I think they had 2 million or 1.2 million or 2 million followers on Instagram. And they just deleted mm-hmm. everything. They wiped it. And maybe they'll come back. I don't know. But like in this moment, they're not mm-hmm. on Instagram. It's been like almost a month, I think. And there was these, these articles that were kind of Everyone's going where'd they go? Mm-hmm. They just ghosted everyone. But the stores didn't shut down. The creative director still has an Instagram. There's, there's, it's you can still go and buy stuff from them. But it, I don't know if it's the return to maybe for maybe for this brand, it's the return to luxury that you have to go and see it. But I think for the church, it's the return of intimacy. Yeah, Ooh, that, that's good. That um, one day we may not be on the internet. One day battle ready may not be free for everyone. I do believe in open source, but I also do believe in valuing the source. And 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 so stay tuned and and, and watch closely because we may not yeah. be there one day. Yeah, what's well, interesting when you mentioned this to me, I told you I said, you know, Mosaic thrive was thriving before there was social media. Yeah. And I used to close our doors and change locations when I felt like too many Christians were coming because I did not want our church to just be a cool, trendy, hip yeah. place where Christians would come and hang. And we were underground for so long until 
um, national news finally outed us. And I loved the underground kind of, um, you know, rave culture of Mosaic where you had to, you had to have a connection relationally. Someone had to invite you to be a part of our culture. And I'm, I don't have a need for us to have a million followers on Instagram. I, I would rather have this really, really uh, intimate conversation with people who lean in and say, this is important to me, this actually matters. And I have friends who don't know God and they need this kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. And by the way, yesterday I was in a conversation with someone who said their son's in college and um, has kind of walked away from his faith and doesn't really know if God exists. And then uh, the mom said, he calls me up and said, I'm listening to the talk, Why Jesus? And, and he starts quoting the talk and how it has impacted him and how it made sense to him. And, and, um, and he goes, hey, you know, when Jesus said he was the only way, he wasn't trying to be arrogant or, um, um, or exclusive. He was trying to say he was the only one coming for us. And I thought it was so cool that he was quoting the message to his mom. And that makes it worth it to me. You know, and um, and, I, and I just, that's the thing. Is and he that, likes Battle Ready. Yeah, uh, yeah. And oh, they, they, they all love Battle Ready. And so, so much. It's really beautiful. And so I, I just want to encourage people. Um, one, if you're the pastor of a church, you can innovate and create and do new things, but sometimes you can't do it alone. Sometimes you have to interconnect. Yeah. And that's a part of what we're trying to do is, is help people everywhere face the challenges that are ahead of them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we can spend our life being sad about the past, or we can spend our lives yeah. finding joy about the future. And I just think that we just need to know that the church is designed to be resilient, adaptive, creative, innovative. Yeah. Um, the future should come from here. It should come from us, from those of us who are connected to God, who is present yesterday, today, and forever. How in the world can the future surprise him? So we should uh, have a, a heads up from God. So watch, so watch closely. Yeah, so we're designed for this. So watch closely. Bye.